Hello, welcome to EVN Report. My name is Maria Titizian. My guest today in the studio is uh, David Sarkarian. He's associate faculty member at the, of the Faculty of Oriental Studies at the University of Oxford. Welcome to the program, David. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure for us to have you because um, of your research area and your research interests are very close to our hearts here at EVN Report. You uh, have published several articles and book chapters on the representation of women in early Christian Armenian literature. Uh, you are the author of a book, the title of which I love, Women Too Were Blessed, The Portrayal of Women in Early Christian Armenian Texts. And um, it's about the representation of women in 5th century um, Armenian literature and historiography. And before we started recording the podcast, we were talking about how women are oftentimes on the margins of history. They were there at some point, but because most histories and Armenian histories written by men and we're talking about the 5th century, probably clerics. So were there women around in the 5th century? Well, of course. They, are, <laughs> they have always been there. Sure. The only problem is that uh, we have the narrative from the perspective of men all the time, unfortunately, in, in most cases. And uh, men are interested in politics, in wars, and they write about things that they are involved with. And as a result of that, we always find women on the margins of those narratives. Of course, there are stories where women uh, play uh, main roles, and, uh, for example, the um, the Christianization narrative, the narrative uh, as preserved in Agatangeros' History of Armenia, the uh, martyrdom of Saint Sanducht, for example. In those cases, we do have women, and we, of course, have other sources in which uh, women uh, feature prominently, like we know about many monasteries, medieval monasteries uh, that were funded by the money provided by women uh, of the family of the uh, dynasty or uh, a large number of manuscripts that women sponsored and even copied themselves or illuminated. So women are uh, at least demographically at least 50% of our population, but the history books kind of ignore them altogether. So I thought it's a it's a big problem in Armenian historiography, and we need to address this issue. So I decided to start writing about the representation of women uh, from the fifth century when the Armenian literature was born. And the main work was to try and find every piece of text that speaks about women, of women, represents them in one way or another, and then try to deconstruct this male narrative and try to understand how men saw the role of women in society, especially after Christianization. That was the, the, the first part uh, of the book, the representation. And the second one was I was trying to dig out some information about their daily life, about the lived reality, as much as it was possible. Of course, it's a, it's a very rhetorically uh, ornate narrative where men try to use a lot of uh, descriptive words and try to present their point of view and, and so on. And it's very difficult sometimes to just go beyond that and find the real women and see what they're doing. But that was the work. And I think at least I tried to show the importance of women in society as much as it was possible through these narratives of the fifth century. And at the same time, my aim was to start this conversation about women. They have done a lot and they continue doing it in today's Armenia. And the problem of uh, our society back in, in the medieval times and today is that we try to ignore, not see them, not represent them. And um, 
usually that's the the well, approach of patriarchal society. Sure, we represent we are represented, but in very traditional, stereotypical forms that that has you know sustained itself through the centuries. You know, we get glimpses of women, and you know, with your research, you saw the role of women, perhaps sometimes in um, you know the Christianization of Armenia or you know in the battlefield. Uh, but these are just mere glimpses, and so we're just getting fragments of women and mm. not really understanding. And somehow it's just easier to place women in this sort of cubbyhole and say, this is what your your role is, because the alternative perhaps is threatening. It is, it is. Uh, but let's get back to the title of the book, because the first part of it, Women Too Were Blessed, is actually a quote from the teaching of St. Gregory the Illuminator. And this is something that I believe must be taught in schools when we speak about Christianization of Armenia. Unfortunately, I haven't found that quote in any history books, in any school books uh, published in Armenian. There's a lot of things you haven't <laughs> you won't see in those books. But that's, that's a very important thing. It is what, it, it, that phrase and the continuation of it uh, clearly reflects the attitudes of the Armenian church in the 5th century. Uh, just to put it in in a context, at the time, the Armenian church was influenced by the Syriac and Greek churches. And the teaching of the Greek, especially of the Greek church, but also of the Syriac church, were very much misogynistic. If not misogynistic, then they tried to, as you said, put them in some boundaries and uh, show their uh, just specific position in society without giving them any agency. And the Armenian church was influenced by these narratives as far as uh, other issues of theology are concerned. But what surprised me was that as far as women were concerned, the Armenian church, at least in the 5th century, did not adopt that discourse. So in the 5th century, you would not find any disparaging comments about women, unless, for example, like with men, if they betrayed or did something wrong, yeah, that would be there. But... In general, if you look at the discourse, there is nothing stressing that women are secondary. There is nothing saying that women do not have the same equal rights. On the contrary, there is a fantastic document that we have uh, from the 5th century. Uh, these are the canons of the uh, Council of Shahapivan, 444. There are 20 canons, and if you read them very carefully, you could see one thing, that whenever a crime is committed, irrespective of the gender of the person, and it is stressed in the canon, no matter whether this is a woman or a man, the punishment is the same. So gender played absolutely no role. Only the position, the social uh, status of a person played a role. So, for example, if you, were, if you belonged to the Naharar family, the punishment uh, uh, was lenient. If you were a Ramik, for example, at a lower uh, level of society, then it would be more severe. But nothing about gender based on the gender. So this is an important thing. It's but, the fifth but, century. But it is, uh, so we, we had equality in punishment. Did we have equality in power? That was not the case if we speak about a public sphere of activity. Mm -hmm. It was a society. I mean, we, we speak about fifth century. And uh, as far as we know, it, it was a society that was divided clearly into this public and domestic sphere. And public sphere was occupied by men, they were there and they, they were fighting. But we also need to understand that men were constantly away from their household. And the economy of the entire 
country, of, of the family and of the country, was on the shoulders of women. So we have a specific hierarchy there. And um, to, to illustrate when we speak about the power, the landlady of the household stood next to the, uh, the, the head of the household. So we had the Naharaj, the head of the family, and his wife would be higher than anyone else in that uh, society, in that dynasty. So, in other words, we have this very strict hierarchy. It's still a patriarchal society, very much so, because the patriarch is, is a male figure there. But in many spheres, in many, in many aspects of their daily life, we see this clear distinction between their responsibilities. And, as I said, the economy of the, uh, of the country was basically based on the shoulders of women. They, were, they would stay in their castles. They would oversee the farming activities around the castles and uh, the production of wine and the production of grain and many other things. That was the responsibility of women. It's a different society. I mean, uh, we, we, uh, we can't anachronistically judge uh, using our kind of um, uh, understanding of society. But still... Yes, we need to admit it was a patriarchal society. But the church, at least, at the time, was trying to empower women in the sense that women could play an important role in society. Uh, what happened over the centuries? It is difficult to say. This is one of the questions that I ask uh, both in the book and in general. I'm, I'm very much interested in seeing. So, okay, in the 5th century, in the, the narrative is relatively positive, uh, I repeat, as compared to what we have in the Greek and Syriac uh, text. So it's much more, uh, so to say, progressive. And then this narrative changes. Gradually it changes. Still, the, uh, starting from the uh, 7th century onwards, we see many manuscripts sponsored by women. So they had their uh, own means, they had money. Uh, this is attested in the manuscripts that women marrying into a family would bring with them uh, some assets and they would own them. So they could use them as they wished. They could build, uh, for example, they build bridges. We have bridges built by women, churches, monasteries, sponsoring these monasteries, renovating monasteries, and so on, erecting uh, hachkars, for example. So they had this power, and the church was not against that. Uh, again, however, we have this uh, patriarchal structure of the church, as far as women are concerned, for example, in the church, we have this uh, fantastic document from the 9th century in uh, Metzmashtot, the, uh, the ritual book of the Armenian church. There is a description of women, uh, how women deaconesses should be ordained. This is something ninth that... 9th century. 9th century, yes. There is a description of how men should be uh, ordained. And then there is a, a comment saying women should be ordained in a similar way. However, they need to wear something on there for it. That's the only thing. So basically the church accepted this idea that it is possible to, do, uh, to have women in the church because there was the need they, they could contribute. And it's important also to, uh, uh, to speak about women's role in education. So we know um, there is this uh, very good article by Zara Borosian about the education, about the role of women in education in early Christian Armenia. So women basically were there providing the, the first steps of education to their children. And it, it in involved everything, including religious education. This was perhaps one of the practical reasons why the church wanted women to have some power, to have some agency, because through women they could spread Christianity. Yeah. So 
to a certain degree, it's an exploit, some way of exploitation again, yes. Um, but at least their role was kind of recognized and presented as compared to the later periods when we see that women slowly kind of disappear from the mainstream uh, narrative. But they are there. They are always there. The colophons, for example, of our manuscripts, uh, the Hishata Karans, they contain uh, many uh, references to women doing uh, great things. And... My, and you have a book mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be published next year, I believe, about Indeed. this, right? Called Lived Reality in Medieval Anatolia and the Caucasus through Colophons of Armenian Manuscripts. So that yes. should be interesting. So we see women there as well. Of course, yes. So one chapter is dedicated to that, how we could study women's history through those colophons. So what I'm trying to do is to bring this into the scholarship in the Armenian studies. We had some uh, scholars who started talking about this, and at the beginning of uh, the book, I, I have uh, uh, sketched the different books and articles published on this topic. So what I really want is to start this conversation to bring, uh, to give some voice to women and to encourage younger scholars to dig further. Because we, if we want to tell the story of a nation, we need to tell the story of everyone, including women who formed the vast majority, in many cases, more than 50% of our Mm -hmm. uh, uh, population. So it is important to give them voice, to make them visible. And they are there. We just need to study them and find them. Do you think that in the absence of statehood and the existence of Armenian communities, uh, you know, under different uh, empires, did this play a role in the... Because I would argue that while we have made many great strides uh, in sort of contemporary Armenian uh, society. We still have a long way to go, certainly. There's just a pattern that you see repeating itself. And did these different fractured communities and, and the absence of statehood, did this contribute to the ongoing sort of absence of women in the public discourse? Because it was all about survival and the woman's role was seen as, oh, keep the family, keep the the, the mother tongue going? Well, there are many factors. It's it's very difficult to pinpoint one thing that contributed to it. And I think, yes, the absence of state would played an important role. And the importance of the church was, uh, at the time, was uh, more prominent because that was the institution that in one way or another, uh, connected different communities and created some sense of identity and belonging. And again, from what I I can see from the primary sources is that depending on the area where the Armenian community was, you would see that some women were more empowered than others in other communities. The same, uh, if you if you read the 19th, 20th century ethnographic uh, sources uh, about Armenian communities in the Caucasus, uh, in uh, Western Armenia, and in other communities like in Crimea uh, and in Europe, you would see that even from village to village, the uh, position of of women changes. So there are some communities where women uh, have to cover completely, like they cover their head, they cover their faces, and so on. And there are communities which are not like that, where women are, uh, are kind of open, they are in the public uh, space without men, and they are not ashamed, they they can act as they wish, and so on. So it 
always depended on where, which part of of uh, this uh, of the area we are talking about. So right. that's why we need to study each community on its own sure. to see how this development happened. Yeah, because I've always been fascinated when you look at some of the early feminist Armenian feminist writings from the late nineteenth, early twentieth century, and some of the texts are um, extraordinary. Texts that women today, Armenian women today, aren't writing. And they were extremely progressive and extremely uh, full of agency, if you will. And they didn't wait for the church or for the patriarchal society to tell them what to do or how to do it. And yet then again, we see the collapse of the First Republic, when we did have women parliamentarians, where we did have, when women did have the vote, then you see the Soviet era with this forced ideological form of equality. And then after the collapse of the Soviet Union, sort of reverting back to very traditional roles for women. And it's this constant fight uh, or, or struggle uh, that as women and as a society, we need to to, to battle with. Uh, to be fair, I think all uh, societies in developed countries, for example, have gone through this. And I think we just need a little bit more time, but we need to be aware of the problem. And I think it should come uh, both from the bottom, from the education that we provide our children, and also from uh, the top, from the government. Because... Um, it's sad that we don't see many women in the in the government in today's We have Armenia. one woman yes. minister. Yes, that's and uh, let's look at some other countries like Finland. <laughs> I mean, and the country is prospering. Of course, the geopolitical situation is different, and there are many other factors. The thing is that we need to realize that it is a problem and we need to work in this direction. And this empowerment should start from schools, I would say from the nurseries, from the kindergartens, because if we prescribe specific roles uh, and the role of girls, of little girls, is to be passive and uh, of boys to be boisterous and uh, aggressive. aggressive, then we will never solve this issue. But I'm sorry to tell you, this is the reality that we're living in. You see little boys saying, oh, pink is for girls, boys shouldn't do dishes, a boy shouldn't do this, already from a very young age, and not necessarily from the homes, just from the education system, from the nursery schools, what they're, you know, don't... Uh, don't be like a girl, don't cry like a girl, you're a future soldier, you have to be strong, and the girls are always, of course, much more passive. 21st century Armenia, and we're still facing these things. Um, and the problem also is the fact that young women don't have women role models. That's what I was going to say. If we have more role uh, models in history books, in, in general, I mean, we have fantastic women scientists and how many of them appear in our books, in our school books, and not just scientists, in, in different spheres. I mean, Armenia has one of the highest number of women in IT as compared to the rest of the world. This is something we should be proud of and we should be promoting. And this, uh, these women should be the role models that uh, can inspire the, the future generations. We just need to work together and present these role models. And that's why the research you're doing is so invaluable, because we do have to return to the origins of the Armenian nation, the Armenian mentality, the mindset. And because we started this podcast with the Armenian church, let's end it with the Armenian church. Um, in the fifth century, the narrative was one thing. Today, um, could we argue that the Armenian church does not have the same power as it did 
1500 years ago. Does the church have a role to play in this today? I think it does. I think uh, from the point of view of uh, spirituality, the church has an important role to play. Uh, the only thing is that Again, we come to the matter of choices, what choices we make as a society and as a church. Now, uh, for example, um, in 2019, uh, Catholicos Aram uh, of Cilicia tweeted about equality of men and women. On March the 8th, he uh, tweeted that men and women are equal, and this is the basis of Christianity. We need this discourse coming from the church leaders more and more because this is what we have in the 21st century, and this is something that will only enrich our society and help us uh, tackle all the problems. We need to work together, and if you discriminate against one group, especially against women, I mean, uh, we will never solve any problems in society. So, uh, similarly, for example, we have the uh, Archbishop of uh, Tehran, for example, ordained uh, uh, in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, ordained a female deacon. I mean, and he also stressed that this is part of our Christian faith. It's uh, according to the Armenian apostolic faith. So we could see that the church leaders can make the right choices, the right in the sense that this is appropriate for today's society, for today's mentality. And we can still keep our identity, keep our faith, our belief, but at the same time look forward. And looking forward means working together and not discriminating against any groups, especially against women. I mean, this is fundamental. Well, I think on that positive note, <laughs> um, I'd really like to thank you, uh, David, for coming and talking to us and about the, the real invaluable, important work that you're doing. And we look forward to uh, your next book and to, um, to hosting you again one day at thank Indian Report much. when you return. Thank you. Thank you very much.